always felt, even when I was young, or maybe in my late teens, I started feeling like life is really short, mm-hmm. and you got to get going. You know, if you've got something you want to do, you better get started, you know, not wait, uh, you know, not dive in recklessly, but don't keep waiting until you think you're ready, because if you do, you'll, you'll be waiting forever. If you're someone who refuses to go along to get along, if you question whether the status quo is good enough for you and your family, you want to leave this world better off than you found it, and you consider independence a sacred thing, you may be a prepper, a gardener, a homesteader, a survivalist, a farmer, a rancher, an environmentalist, or a rugged outdoorsman. This show is for those who choose the road less traveled, the road to self-reliance, for those living a daring adventure, life off the grid. Oregon native Gianicles Caldwell grew up milking cows, but was lured to the goat side where she remains a committed devotee. She was a commercial cheesemaker at the Caldwell's off-grid dairy, Bolia Farm, for over 10 years. She now milks her Nigerian dwarf goats just for pleasure in between writing books, in which she has six, speaking, and judging cheese, which she considers the most fun. Gianicles, welcome to the Off the Grid Biz podcast. Well, thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do on a regular basis? Oh, gosh. It sure varies from day to day, and uh, I was just talking to my mother about people who are drawn to this kind of life really have to be nonlinear because you just can't really schedule your day or your week sometimes with animals and farm life and that sort of thing. So still milking the goats, which we're very correct, and I do do it for pleasure Love having that milk and just working with the animals. We've been breeding the Nigerians now for since 2003 and uh, have developed a good name for the breed, or as a breeder, I should say, of Nigerian dwarfs, particularly for strong, long-milking animals and with good milk production for that breed. And uh, that's, that's uh, something that's hard to imagine. And I'm getting older now, of course, as we all do, uh, but it's difficult to imagine giving up that process of working on a uh, breed and all those, those genetics and all those improvements. And, of course, there's this addiction that every goat person will confess to, I think, about waiting for those babies to come every year. And goat babies are, there's a good reason that they're all over YouTube and such. They're they're so appealing, and um, they they pretty much stay that way as adults. So we work on our little farm. It is mostly a pleasure farm now. We do Airbnb with a couple of farm stays we have, and uh, that keeps us busy also, but is a great income stream for the farm, supplements a lot of the feed bills and that sort of thing. And then uh, working on books, which you said correctly, six nonfiction books, and now I'm switching to what was originally my first passion, which is trying to, and I say that because I want to be humble about this, uh, write fiction. And then we also are caring for our elderly parents, concurrent with all of that, and that's a, a wonderful thing to be a part of that certainly is a ongoing, changing source of uh, activity for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What drew you to our goat after working on a dairy? 
Uh, well, and it was a family dairy here growing up, so it wasn't a commercial mm-hmm. dairy. Uh, but I had been a dairy cattle 4-H leader and just always loved the cows and had that typical kind of superior complex that dairy cow people have over goats. And that our youngest daughter was six or seven at the time, and she wanted to get be a part of the livestock project. And uh, I was just ready to get a cow again. We got to a point in our my husband's Marine Corps career and um, our property where we could have a milk animal. And our daughter was too small to handle a cow. And I thought, well, maybe I should consider goats. And so we got a couple of these Nigerian dwarfs because they're so small that it's easy for a child to handle. And I just assumed it would be, you know, a nice thing, but uh, fell in love with them. They're so much more interactive than a cow is and uh, a little bit more trouble in some ways because they're such thinkers, but they're so easy on the land. And the biggest thing I like about working with them when milking is they don't have that long tail to smack you in the face with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the fact that the manure isn't ploppy wet all over the place. <laughs> oh, man. that's convenient. <laughs> I grew up around cattle, also, so okay. I know. All the, I know. I, I get it. <laughs> Dairy cattle or beef? Uh, mostly beef. Beef, yeah, yeah. Yep. I, I still love cows, but they they are definitely a different different mindset for them, and they can afford to be that way when they're so big smaller the animal, typically the more they have to think their way out of situations than bully it. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. That's great. What led you to jump into kind of the public arena and becoming a public figure and doing writing and everything else? When we moved, when uh, Vern, my husband, was getting ready to retire from the military, we were down in Southern California, and we knew we could come back to this piece of the family land that my was left. Um, my parents started buying uh, 220 acres when they were in high school here in o- southern Oregon back in the 40s. And uh, this piece of it was going to be going to me eventually. And it didn't have any power on it yet. And uh, it just was, it had a large cleared area. And it was the early 2000s then. And right about when you were starting to hear a lot about goat cheese and small farmstead creameries and uh, I had already been making cheese at that point and really, really loved the process. I, I love processes where it's a, a merger of science and art, where some things are under your control, some things aren't, and it's ever-changing. So I very much uh, enjoyed the cheese making. And we thought about the farmstead creamery and fell into that, that little romantic uh, crevice that many people still do, which isn't a bad thing, but of it being a um, uh, such a romantic thing to do and a way to come back to this land and be closer to our parents. And all that was true. It was great. Really loved the, the whole process. It was all-consuming, though. At that point, when we decided to move back here, I'd been doing fine art for many years, and that was my focus of what I did. I did, you know, had solo shows and I just loved making art and I had this idea that I would still be able to do that and it rapidly became evident that if I took the time to make art I would be taking away from work that needed to be done here at the farm and somebody else would have to do that and I couldn't feel comfortable with that writing nonfiction 
when it became obvious that after we got started, there were many people out there that wanted that knowledge of how to get started in a small-scale creamery and how could they do it, and you start getting calls and emails and people wanting your time, I thought, oh, maybe this would be a good opportunity to try to write a book. Write a book, take the time to do that. It would be a resource for people then. I would learn a lot, and it would just be something that meshed in with what we were doing. I wrote a proposal, and it was picked up by Chelsea Green, which has been one of my main publishers, and I love them and what they do. And that just became an addictive process because, as with cheese making, it's a process. A lot of research, there's a lot of growing as far as having people read and criticize and taking those criticisms to heart as, like, thank you for telling me that these pants make my rear end look big. <laughs> you know, you really have to want to be open. And I gained as much as anybody from writing and Every time I try to write, it's that same thing again. So it just kind of fell into that. And then we were members from the beginning of the American Cheese Society, co-founders of the Oregon Cheese Guild in 2005 or six when it got started and then became more involved in, I won't say the politics of cheese, but the, the bigger world of cheese. And Vern, my husband, is currently finishing up his last year as a board member of the American Cheese Society. And... And uh, once I stopped being a commercial cheesemaker, then I was able to be a cheese judge or judge at competitions uh, without there being any conflict of interest. And that's been a wonderful, challenging, exciting, and delicious thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it just kind of it's happened organically over that period of time. And I love that about life. Sometimes you follow one thing, and if you just try to do it well, it usually leads to something else that you never would have anticipated and just got to go with it. Oh, that, that's a great philosophy. And <laughs> how did you fall into doing speaking? Was that after uh, writing your book or how did that Well, I've always liked to teach and I think that I was aware of that once I wanted to become a 4-H leader. Even just, you don't have to know much and this may sound like a, I don't believe you should know, should know much, but there's always something you can share or teach to somebody just beneath you in their knowledge journey. And by sharing, you learn. People ask you questions, and if you're humble, you say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And you learn and you learn and you learn. So I think teaching, speaking is a way to make your brain keep working and to see the enthusiasm of others is very, it fuels your own work. Uh, you know, seeing what you're doing through others, seeing that passion that you once felt about something, it rekindles it. So it, I kind of feed off of that. I'm not a social person at all, but I do love uh, teaching, speaking. But uh, parties, I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a cheese party and I'm teaching it. <laughs> so, so did someone uh, ask you to speak the first time or did you seek it out? How did that happen? Well, if you mean speaking at larger events, that definitely coincided in my memory anyway to the once you write a book. That's something you really are signing on for when you write a an instructional nonfiction. And even if you wrote fiction, you'd be expected to speak, although it's usually in a smaller venue. So I think if you're not ready to sign on for that, it's unlikely that 
no matter how, how good your idea for a book is, a publisher is going to feel like you're not being part of the team. So being part of the team for promoting your book involves that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that was that came along with your deal with Chelsea Green then? Yes, I, I believe so. I, I honestly haven't thought about it, and I don't tend to you know, remember or pay much attention to trying to remember all, all the things that have happened along the way. But yeah, <laughs> but I know I was teaching before then, and um, you know, working as a artist in residence at a school, and you know, talking to the kids and things. But but not speaking as far as larger venues go. Describe the type of person that was interested in the same topics that you were interested in, the ones that would get involved and, and purchase your books and maybe you became friends with along the way. What type of person would that be? Well, there's quite a spectrum from people who, now that I have six different topics or six topics that cover different areas, uh, you know, from people who just want to learn more about making cheese to people who are cheesemakers that want to try to perfect their craft uh, and then, of course, on the business side, people who are thinking about doing this as a business, uh, there's definitely a lack of information that's easy to find. I knew that from trying to find it myself. About one of the more recent books on goat care, you know, how to approach a whole herd management from a holistic standpoint, which includes everything from herbal to traditional but uh, there, I used to be a nurse. I, I was a nurse mm. first, and just an LPN, LVN. But when you're a nurse, you learn to assess systems, and you look at what you can interpret from the health and uh, how symptoms present in a patient. So you, you do that as a herd manager, too. You should be, anyway, <laughs> you mm. know, serving for changes in that homeostasis that indicates the animal's taking care of itself. So helping people to learn to look at their herd that way is what that book is focused on and and then what to do when it's not going well, which every goat owner stacks up a lot of information about that. And I definitely always count on tapping into other people's knowledge for any subject I, I try to write about or speak about. And there's you know, for as much as you learn, a lot goes out the other side of your brain, too, <laughs> <laughs> or isn't accessible anyway in the moment. So that's where I think you know, you've got to always try to stay humble, or otherwise you're going to get smacked upside the head by karma and the universe. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's take a break from that conversation. I wanted to bring up a question for you. During these crazy times, do you feel like your business is indestructible? Most people don't. And if not, the real question is why and what can you do to make it as indestructible as possible? Well, that's the basis of my new book, Nine Ways to Amazon Proof Your Business. Let me talk about what we discuss in the first chapter, Determine Focus. So one of the main ways that you can Amazon proof your business is by determining the focus of your business. And the real problem isn't that you're not doing enough. The real problem is, is that you may be doing too many things in too many places. So one of the things I suggest is decide whether your focus is going to be acquisition, ascension, or monetization. And I go into the details of what that means in this chapter. It's really the only three ways that you can grow your business. 
And if you just do that one step of determining focus, you can have a huge change in your entire business. But I also have eight other ways to Amazon proof your business. Basically the idea of making it competition proof to even someone as big as amazon.com. So if you'd like to get your hands on a free copy of my book, go to amazonproofbook.com. Sign up and you will get a free copy and get the chance to purchase a physical copy of it for a special price. In addition to that, if you happen to be in the Josephine County area or nearby and you're looking to have a speaker come and discuss these type of issues with your organization, club, or group of friends, then I have a limited calendar that I may be able to fit you into. Go check out brianjpombo.com slash speaking and fill out the application. We'll be sure and get back to you on that. And now let's get back to our show. What do you like best about your industry and your career as a whole? Uh, the cheese and food in general in industry, but the small-scale cheese and even some of the mid- to large-scale producers, it's such a small world that it was, and it was so embracing uh, and still is for the most part of new people coming into it that you felt immediately part of this community. Uh, and this is on the cheese-making side of it not that I'm mentioning right now. Uh, it was just so welcoming and so supportive. And Oregon here where we are in particular, the guild is just, you know, no one is worried about competition. There are a few that are, but for the most part, people are like, yeah, get on board. The more the barrier, it's a win-win for everybody and uh, supportive. And that's that's wonderful. And then you bring in the fact that you're talking about making something that other people love. Uh, that's one thing I found really gratifying compared to doing artwork. Uh, artwork you're doing usually from yourself. It's sharing some inner part of yourself. And that's a very vulnerable thing to do and isn't always very gratifying. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when I switched to making cheese or when cheese making took over my life, it was so gratifying, you know, that have people try this thing and find out, you know, have their eyes light up and that they never knew goat cheese could taste like that and uh, just super gratifying. So that's been been a really wonderful part of it too. And why do you think that is, that distinction between those two worlds? Which the cheese between Yeah, between cheese making and art, why is one more gratifying to you, do you think? Well, we all got to eat, right? And yeah. <laughs> And there's really no, you know, that old saying now, the quickest way to someone to be man's heart is through their mouth or through their stomach. But the quickest way to, I think it really is true. If people like to eat and there are very few people who don't, it's a way to make a connection pretty faster than art is. And the same way when, now that I'm going to, back to fiction, uh, that will be more like art as far as, no matter how good of a book you write, there will be people that hate it. And there will, but I guess that was true with the cheese a bit too. You know, you, people who think they don't like goat cheese and you know, have it stuck in their heads. But much mm -hmm. less so. Food is an instant connection, and this is why families gather for meals. This is why people are missing going to restaurants right now during the pandemic, and just having that social thing centering around food. It's a great point, is it? Since you bring it up, but how has COVID affected your life and and this this lifestyle that you've kind of chosen? 
Well, gosh, it's it's interesting because if we had still been commercial cheese makers, it would have affected it much more greatly. It, but the fact that we had already stopped, it really hit us the most through the loss of uh, Airbnb, our farm state income. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we shut that completely down until the 1st of July. And uh, that was that was definitely a, a, a tough period in that regard. Um, but, you know, another thank you to the universe, that also coincided. I Well, all my speaking events were stopped also. Uh, classes were canceled, so that whole income stream went away also, and gratification stream, if you will, uh, was dried up. But it coincided with our my husband's parents and my mother needing extreme amounts of our time. So mm-hmm. it was actually wonderful time to have all that extra time, if you will, to focus on something else. So it all worked out fine and we've opened up the Airbnbs now with a lot of stipulations on masks and distancing and um, rules for contact as well as how we take care of the space in between guests and now that most people are accustomed to doing those things and it's not new news to them it's going along very well and Oh, good. Well, I imagine so much of that's necessary right now. How many guests can you accommodate at one time? We have two farm stays, but we've only opened one up for this season because we felt that that was the best approach to keep the interaction between guests down. So if we had one set that you know wanted to be in a, a shared space, because there are certain parts of the barn that are shared spaces, that it wouldn't overlap and make anybody feel awkward but that we have an old Airstream trailer that we fixed up, and three to four people can stay in that, and that's the one that's open right now. And then the other one's a little little tiny building that we call the bunkhouse uh, that is uh, has a, just a two-people capacity. So it's it's not, not like an inn by any means. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, that's really cool. I mean, and you have such a, a variety that you've gone through just in the past few years. Your life is, is just yeah. a... Well, it's such a great mix. It's cool. Yeah, you know, I've always felt, even when I was young, or maybe in my late teens, I started feeling like life is really short, mm-hmm. and you got to get going. You know, if you've got something you want to do, you better get started. You know, not wait. Uh, you know, not dive in recklessly, but don't keep waiting until you think you're ready. Because if you do, you'll you'll be waiting forever, pretty much. And Vern, my husband, he's also very malleable that way. We always felt like if something's not working well in regard to, I'll give you the example being the cheese production. I still love making cheese, and I miss making cheese commercially. I miss selling it. I miss seeing people eat it. But it was not the right time to continue it. Uh, We'd lost our, I'm not lost, but our children, adult children had moved away. And so that element of help went away, and I was doing more and more traveling for the books, and I really enjoyed that. And then physically, just getting older faster than you thought, where that sort of physical work of keeping up with everything, how the number of goats I needed to manage, and then I was the main cheesemaker also, you know, the main goat care and the main cheesemaker, it just becomes too much. So I, you know, sat down and just, We've talked about what in our life 
could give, what do we are we not ready to give up, but what could we do without and probably be okay and then move forward from there. I miss making art, you know, I miss riding horses, but I'm of that age where I don't want to get broken. So (laughs) as much as I miss them, it would be really silly to start that up again. That's how it is. I think we're kind of meant to enjoy things in parts of life, whether it's when our children are really little, and then remember it and realize that you can't have and do everything at once. And that's the way it goes. No, that's a great point. So if we were to talk in like a year, let's say we had you back on the show or something like that, and we, we look back over the last 12 months oh boy, and just kind of looked at where you've been and what you've done, what would you say would have had to have happened for you to feel happy about what you've accomplished? Well, see, now if I had an answer for that, I would be breaking my own philosophy, wouldn't I? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because I think, uh, you know, if I'm really going to follow what I said, it's that I don't know. I'm just trying to make good decisions now. And I could I can fantasize. Do you want my fantasy version? Sure. Let's hear it. Okay, my fantasy <laughs> version is that an agent has decided my manuscript for this novel is just fantastic. And she's going to shop it around and... And uh, let's see, our parents are all stable, and we've bought an RV, and we're traveling to places in beautiful parks in the U.S. that I've never seen. There you go. Oh, fabulous. Oh, that's good. Somebody, somebody moved into the farm to care for the goats, because I don't want to give them up either. So. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. How many goats do you have? Uh, we're down, I'm down to milking only about seven, and mm-hmm. then there are a number of bucks and uh, retired goats, so... I'd say it's only around 20 or so now. I, at the peak, I milked 40 because you need a need a decent amount of milk to to make cheese and make it fairly efficiently. Uh, so that you know, I mean, you're probably trying to get in the picture. And because we live off the power grid, managing that system means that leaving this place, if we leave for a few days, it's, somebody's got to be here that understands mm. how to read all that and how to make sure that. It's being cared for properly. We really have tied ourselves down, and thank goodness we really love this piece of land and love our place. But it does make that little fantasy I just shared a little bit (laughs) implausible. Sure, sure. (laughs) So what advice would you have for other people that are adventure seekers like you? or or I don't know. How would you define yourself first off? What would you call yourself? I don't know. Farm girl, I guess. Farm girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a common thing that we see with both guests we've had on the show and people yeah. that listen, that they don't really, they do so many different things and go in so many different directions. They yeah. they couldn't just label themselves with one thing. No. And that's fine. Yeah, and if you are running a farm or a small piece of property, you do have to be a jack of all trades and you know to be able to fix things. And if you grew up like I did without money as a resource, mm-hmm. you learn to make your brain your resource. And you learn when I was we were first starting to do our own construction and plumbing and electrical, I thought I had to hire somebody. And then I realized, well, I can't afford that. Hmm, do you think maybe I could learn it? And that was even in the days before YouTube, that you go buy a couple books, and you read and you pay attention and you realize, well, that's how everybody gets to be a, a master of something. They just study and practice. So why not do that on your own stuff? And 
it's definitely been, and that's something we also love to do. We love to remodel houses, and uh, it's, it's just so many things to do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very blessed and lucky that there are those things to do, and that you know, despite how crazy the world is right now, and has been off and on since we uh, moved out of the trees and into the <laughs> rest of the continents, I, you know, there's also lots of things to always be grateful for and to try to focus on as positive. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Are there any other questions I didn't ask you that you'd like to answer? Oh, don't think so. I slipped the things about being off the power grid in there. And and that's something, too, people, yeah, I guess I'll speak a little bit about that for a second, that for people who aren't off the grid, uh, that also sounds very romantic. And I think it's uh, it's something we try to, with our guests and anybody that comes to look at our system, ground people in the fact that first, if you're trying to be green for the planet's sake, getting renewable energy and being grid tie is better for the planet. So don't think that we're these wonderful examples of how everybody should be in that regard. Uh, but it also is a it's another job living like this and it's one we've adapted to and really appreciate as far as you don't have a credit card for power you only have a bank account and that bank account is filled by the sun and a micro hydro we have and then in the worst cases a generator mm-hmm. but you can't spend it just by plugging in you know you've got to think and i will i like that way of living for the most part but then again, I'd love to have a hot tub. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's another fantasy: is to live somewhere where we can we can just plug in, still be conscientious. But you know, it's easy to spin your life as a role model for how everybody should do it. Uh, but that's not true, and that's not honest. And I, I want people to understand that too: that you shouldn't avoid doing something because it sounds hard. But they also shouldn't um, you could approach it from either side, you know, the romantic side, or that's going to be too hard. Somewhere in the middle is is the truth. Oh, absolutely, that, that's great. What can a listener do that wants to be able to follow your exploits online, or be able to find some of your books or anything else? Yes, uh, well, we Folia Farm has a website, foliafarm.com. I have a website slash blog, which is my name, GianaCleeseCaldwell.com. Then we have the Facebook pages for both myself and the farm. And I do my best to keep up on Instagram uh, but it's and for myself and for the farm. So there are all those three. People can find email links from that and, and message. Uh, the books, of course, are on all the usual online sites and through the publishers and I'm sure in a few stores too. And the most Great. recent one is a yogurt and kefir making book published by Story, which is uh, probably the most visually appealing of the six. So I'm uh, thanks to Story's great work. Uh, it's called Homemade Yogurt and Kefir. So if you're looking for some probiotics, including those in your life, hopefully that book will help. That's fabulous. And what if someone would like to would like to come and stay on your farm at the Airbnb? How would they look that up? Yes, they can certainly look on Airbnb, and we've been doing this for long enough now, I think about oh, nine years, that uh, our listing comes up pretty pretty high on the rankings. 
website, so it should show up. But there are also links on our on the Folia Farm website, so you can you can take a look at them there. And and uh, if you can't find it on Airbnb, yeah, we we love having guests here. It's been another one of those things where, as I said earlier, you start seeing what you're doing through other people's eyes. So if you can share a bit of that spark with somebody else and you have them fall in love with goats or the fresh air and the beautiful stars, learn a little bit about the power consumption so when they leave maybe they think more about it. Uh, It's nice for us. makes us feel good about what we're doing. And as I said, the income's helpful. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show, John. Yeah, Brian, thank you. Thank you for being on the Off the Grid Biz Podcast. That was a really cool conversation with Gianna Cleese. I really had a good time. She reminds me of a quote that a friend of mine always uses from Helen Keller. He says, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And it seems that's Gianna Cleese's life. (laughs) It's just a constant adventure. She's just going from one concept to the other and she the way she talks about it it seems like no big deal but if you actually think about all these different steps and all these things that she's done she's done so many things that people go their whole life without ever doing but it's those things that people are always interested in doing it's like she said there's romance behind so many of these ideas when you get down into them they tend to get a little bit dirty and a little (laughs) a little bit messy but at least she went out and did them it's really cool there's a couple things that she said that I wanted to point out. One is that food is an entryway and that it's quicker to get to a person's, basically to get to a person's desires than through art, getting through uh, via the stomach, you know, and reaching them that way. Um, that was very interesting. I've never quite heard it put that way, though I've known a lot of artists that were also into the culinary arts. That was interesting. I like her perspective of being a creative person in kind of an entrepreneurial role and doing these projects over and over. And each one is like a little art project for her. And it's very cool to think about it in those, in those ways. I also like that she hasn't held herself to labels. You know, she's not just a cheese maker or a dairy person or a, um, an Airbnb person. You know, she's, she's done it all. And continues to do it all. And just, you never know where the circumstances are going to lead you. And she's very much a, a free spirit and a very cool person to talk to. And I think a really great addition to our conversations here on Off The Grid Biz Podcast. Join us again on the next Off The Grid Biz Podcast. Brought to you by the team at brianjpombo.com. Helping successful but overworked entrepreneurs transform their companies into dream assets. That's B-R-I-A-N-J-P-O-M-B-O.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Off The Grid Biz Podcast, go to offthegridbiz.com slash contact. Those who appear on this show do not necessarily endorse my beliefs, suggestions, or advice, or any of the services provided by our sponsor. Our theme music is Cold Sun by Dell. Our executive producer and head researcher is Sean E. Douglas. I'm Brian Pombo, and until next time, I wish you peace, freedom, and success.